Welcome into the Power Alley. If you're familiar with the podcast, I'm your host, Pat Malacaro. Coming up later on, we'll check in on the week that was for the Buffalo Bisons, which included several Thruway Cup victories over the Syracuse Mets after a successful week in Rochester. The Bisons will return home to take on Lehigh Valley, although it's a Trenton Thunder ballpark just down the road. So Bisons have a home away from home coming up for six games against the Iron Pigs. We'll tell you about that later on in the podcast. But first, Keegan Matheson from MLB.com. Joined us earlier on to chat about the Toronto Blue Jays and his experiences so far of the 2021 season. The Blue Jays having a successful weekend, taking on the Baltimore Orioles in downtown Buffalo and heading into what is six more games at Salem Field, three against Seattle and three against division rivals Tampa Bay before the 10-game 11-day homestand concludes. And when I caught up with Keegan earlier on, I chatted with him just about the first couple of months of the season and where else do you start? But Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Keegan, it's been an exciting week for the Blue Jays coming back to downtown Buffalo, taking on the Baltimore Orioles. And I guess I, I want to start with Vladimir Guerrero Jr., uh, the top vote getter in the All Star balloting. Um, you know, he is such a, an exciting player in baseball. Did you expect what we're seeing out of him this year uh, with, with how great of a season he's having so far? No, uh, I, I would love to have the story I could point back to where I would say this is what was coming. I think there are a couple of stories where I did try to predict a season that I'm hoping nobody digs up. But if, if Vladdy had have come into this season and let's say put up a, an OPS in the 850 range, hit 30, 35 home runs, in hindsight, if I had offered that to a lot of Blue Jays fans back on March 1st, I think a lot would have taken that. That would have been a big step in the right direction at 22, markedly better than his first couple of seasons. But what he's doing right now is ridiculous. It, it, it defies logic, what we're seeing. And it's so impressive that he is sustaining this without any real highs or lows. Now, he's not going on a tear for a week and then cooling off for a week. He's just kind of an 1,100 OPS guy every day, which does not make a lot of sense because if I'm an opposing pitcher and I'm looking at the Blue Jays lineup, uh, first, I'm probably you know, trying to fake a sore elbow or something first. But if I can't do that... I'm looking at Vladdy and I'm trying to stay off sports center the next night, right? Everybody is game planning for him. Number one, like he is getting the Mike Trout treatment every night now and still is doing it still is making it work. And still thanks to his plate discipline is forcing guys to throw him pitches right over the heart of the plate. So it's uh, beyond anything I expected. Would love to say I called this, but goodness, no, not close. And the one thing I, I come back to a little bit is what uh, Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins had talked about maybe two years ago about, players have to want to put in the work themselves in the off season to be ready. And I think that's exactly what we're seeing from Vladdy. Now, maybe it goes back to late last season when he started to, uh, it seemed like he was in, in a little better shape as the season went on, but you know, the, the night and day difference from the athleticism, um, you know, all those different things. And I was, I go back to that, those comments from the front office a couple of years ago. I just wonder if you maybe think sort of along the same lines. Absolutely. Because the buzzword was process. And nobody liked that word. I didn't like that word. You know, as a reporter, I like to understand what we're talking about. I like to be specific. Does process mean his swing? Does that mean he's being lazy? Does he need to work more? Does he need to do this? What does it mean? Um, obviously, teams are not going to lay that out for you as they're developing a superstar. But in hindsight, what process meant was making this permanent for Vladdy because 
it's easy to drop 50 pounds and then put it right back on the next year. That it, what process means is becoming ingrained in as a day-to-day routine. Uh, you know, routine was the other one that was thrown around over and over. And as Blue Jays fans were waiting for Vladdy, you know, their savior to come up to the major leagues, they're getting hit with routines and buzzwords. And that, that wasn't fun at the time for a lot of people I know. But it makes sense now. And I see what that meant uh, much better in hindsight. Because what Vladdy did this offseason was so much different. And when you are 18 and 19, it doesn't matter if you're a better out of shape, if you are just naturally the best player in the league, no problem. Um, but I think Vladdy realized he needs to worry about 2025, 2030, 2032. And that's where making this a routine comes into play. That's where you see guys like a Marcus Semyon, for example. You know, when he talks about his day-to-day routine of getting in the batting cages, doing this and doing that, it... Uh, it may not sound the most exciting to people. It's not exactly the spice of life. Every day is a surprise type of lifestyle, but it keeps him regular. It keeps him normal. And that's a reason why Vladdy has been so consistent this year is that he's doing everything the same way. And Vladdy will say it himself, you know, after every game, it's, um, I mean, my greatest challenge is finding new ways to write the story saying Vlad won a game again. It's, it's quite difficult. I'm glad you brought Marcus Semyon because he's someone I wanted to ask you about as well. And it is, his contribution just going through the routine and showing some of these younger players how, how to go about being a big leaguer at not his advanced age, but at his age of having been in the league for several years. Um, is that something that maybe this front office took into account when signing him this past offseason? Definitely. When you look at someone like Semyon, and I, I group Springer into that too, it's when we talk about clubhouse culture, and uh, I'm, I'm just getting in all the buzzwords I can at this point, but those, those things are so hard to measure. I like to be able to measure things and quantify them. But when you talk about a clubhouse culture or leadership, very difficult to measure. The simplest way that really I've heard it talked about this year, and, and this was in regards to George Springer, but this goes to Marcus Semyon as well, is that early in spring training, Charlie Montoyo said he saw Springer hitting off of the high-velocity fastball machine in batting practice which nobody else was doing. And then the next day, there were a bunch of kids lined up to do the same thing. And it's not always a rah-rah. It's not going to be a moment from Rudy or something like this. It's not always dramatic. A lot of it is, you know, that's what leading by example is, you know. And if you're a young player, you look at that and you not only see, hey, you know, this is a veteran who's stuck in the major leagues. You see a guy who just signed a contract for 150 million bucks. That is attractive, you see a guy who just signed a one-year $18 million deal and is winning a bet on himself and is going to cash in big in free agency. Uh, that matters a lot if you are a 20, 24-year-old trying to come up and stick and make your contract in the big leagues. So I think having those examples set out is very important, especially for a younger team who, you know, yes, the front office believes in these young kids, of course, and they've been around the game. They know how this works. You know, they're not asking for directions to the batting cage, but when they see it and can quantify it in that way, I think that helps a lot. So you're seeing more of the, you know, there will be time for rah-rah and all of that fun, but you're seeing a lot of the quiet following that I think is just as valuable. And we talk a lot about Vladdy and, and rightly so being one of the best players offensively and around the game period, but it has allowed, I think, the other players, Bo Bichette is not under the radar, but he hasn't had to field maybe as many questions as he normally would have, or Lourdes Gurriel Jr. in left field still 
finding his way a little bit out there. And I feel yeah. like that has a lot to do with the, the successes. It's taken some of the pressure off some of the other players on this roster. A lot of players have mentioned that. Uh, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. did just the other day, you know, that he's happy being down in that number five or six hole and just letting Vladdy, let Semyon, let Bichette, let Gritchick drive in the runs. And the, the impact of that, I think that gets to the idea of hitting being contagious, which is another thing that in baseball we throw around so loosely, and I know I do. And it's, um, you know, one of those things that I like to define a bit more. And when we, when we talk to players about that, they – describe that as whether you're Gritchick or Hernandez hitting behind Vladdy, you don't need to be the hero. You know, this is not a situation where if you screw up, the game is over. If you ground out or if you strike out trying to go for your pitch, well, Vlad's probably going to hit a home run and it'll be fine. You know, it'll, it'll work out eventually because this lineup is deep. You'll have George Springer in there as well. It's, it's no problem. But uh, Teoscar Hernandez has spoken to us about that as well. The value of, having Vlad in front of him. Nobody wants to pitch to Vlad, so he'll take his walks, he'll hit his singles, and then Teoscar has a free base runner on so often. Randall Gritchick has that. That's why he's second on the team in RBIs, I think 52 at this point. So it benefits everybody, and you start to see with a little more clarity what it means to have hitting be contagious and when it takes pressure off of guys. You know, that that allows guys, even at the bottom, like a Reese McGuire recently, you know, to not have to go out there and try to hit the cover off the ball. It's not his game, but if the lineup is producing, you can breathe a little bit. And a guy like Reese, you know, sure is, is fighting for his long-term future. But when your team is up eight to two, it's a little easier to take a pitch and maybe look for that fastball. Whereas if it's a tie game late, you're thinking, man, this is the moment. This is how I'm going to win my job. I've got to do something. But you, uh, you're allowed to relax a little bit more, which I think you're really seeing the effects of. And I thought this past 10 days were so important in the grand scheme of things of this year for the Blue Jays. And we're starting to see the maturation completely of a team where you come off the Yankees series, which was a tough one, no doubt about it here in Buffalo. And the Orioles series right after it didn't start off all that great either. But the Blue Jays got off the mat and then rattled off was it four straight wins coming back to Buffalo after that? So uh, I think that we're seeing a team now that is growing together. They're learning a lot. And, and this is kind of some of the fruits of the labor of the last couple of years. Yeah. Mid June was not good. When you go back to that Yankees series and then also in uh, even in Boston before that, they didn't get swept or anything, but the losses were really ugly. They felt like they counted for five losses each. And that was when the bullpen mess really got magnified. It was just a, a disaster for a week or two there where unless they were up by 10, you knew how it was going to end. And I, you know, I wrote the same story five times, I think, where Vlad homers, Semyon homers, Bichette goes four for four, Jays lose in the ninth. And that really takes the wind out of a team so badly. And to have them bounce back like this, you know, it's, uh, you know, sometimes you get a fortunate stretch of schedule where the Orioles are waiting for you. And the Blue Jays had not played the Orioles until very recently. A strange scheduling quirk, which is something Charlie Montoyo had pointed to quite a bit, that the Blue Jays were playing a tough schedule and were waiting on some more uh, you know, winnable games. You know, it's uh, every team can beat you any night, but still, some teams are better than others, and the Orioles are not better than many. So you look forward to seeing them on your schedule. And Bouncing back like this, I think 40 and 36 right now is a relief for them. That allows them to catch their breath as a team, not just individuals, because 
when they were floating around that 500 mark, dipping a game below, well, yeah, it's still June, but man, you know, it, it was reasonable to be looking at this team and talking about, well, is this even the year that they buy and go all in? You know, it's, uh, and I, I know it looks better now, but it's, uh, it was rough for a little while there. So the, the bullpen hasn't been cured overnight. That's still a problem. There will be some, uh, I think, multiple ways to address that going forward. This next month will be really interesting. But the series against the Orioles just looked normal. I know that's not expert analysis, but it looked normal where nothing was being booted around. There were not bullpen meltdowns to the extreme. You know, a couple of bumps, but nothing completely terrible. It just looked like a team that had gotten back to the middle, finally after a month of June that was really good and then really terrible. They seem to be back in the middle. And I look at some of the players that are now on rehab assignments, and George Springer just finished one on the offensive side of things, but you have several pitchers who are uh, working their way back, whether it be Thomas Hatch, Patrick Murphy now back uh, from his rehab assignment. So do you think some of these pitchers who have maybe not even been on the roster yet this year are some of those solutions that we're going to see for the bullpen soon? I think so. And I, I do believe that some of the multi-hitting options make sense for the Blue Jays, um, meaning Thomas Hatch, number one, even Nate Pearson, if his season gets back moving in the direction the Blue Jays expected it to, which we'll see. But given the number of variables the Blue Jays have in their bullpen right now, let's say Charlie Montoyo gets five innings from his starting pitcher, and you're looking at roughly three or four relievers coming out. Well, Given the inconsistencies lately, you're kind of gritting your teeth and thinking, man, one of these probably won't go well. But if you can cut that number down to two or three by having a Thomas Hatch or a Nate Pearson who's a little more consistent and can give you those two or three innings, it just limits the numbers of ways that it can go wrong. And that's what a lot of baseball is, you know, limiting the ways that this can go wrong and, and upping the odds of success. And, I think that'll be part of it. And in Hatch and Pearson as well, you're getting high strikeout guys. You're getting legit bullpen talent. This isn't a, a mid-90s long reliever, you know, coming in and eating some innings with a five ERA. They're, they're legit talent. So adding in that with a, a Ryan Barucki, a Julian Merriweather, who for five minutes in April looked like the best pitcher on the planet. I mean, well, you know, something will go wrong out of this group, of course. More injuries will hit. Somebody will get cold. But – there are more options coming back. Um, you know, it, it looks like it's moving in a positive direction there. So when you combine that with maybe an external move or two, I, I think it's starting to line up a lot better for the Blue Jays. And we'll see even how they manage their rotation going into uh, August, September, October. How many innings does Alec Manoa have? You know, for example, how is he throwing in September? Yeah, he has been the hype train this year, but it's not out of the question that we see some creative usage with a lot of these guys, um, you know, moving around bullpen rolls, piggyback rolls is another one to consider, but there's at least more options coming back. It should be moving in a good direction, which is the uh, most optimistic thing I've said about this bullpen in, uh, in a few weeks. So I'll leave it at that. <laughs> well, I'm glad we got that uh, out of you today. Um, Keegan, that we're almost three months into the season now, and you've had a front row seat to, to a lot of these games and, and coming down to the States and, and covering the Blue Jays, you're back home in Canada right now. But I just wanted to get your impressions, whether it was from spring training to the beginning of the season, just how in now the COVID-19 era, uh, as we're, we're coming out of it, things have felt 
you know, around whether it was the Blue Jays or in the ballpark and just your impressions of, of the start of this season? Yeah, big uh, comparison points for me would be spring training and then Buffalo. Um, both times, it was a lot of just me wandering around empty ballparks alone. You know, not to, I look forward to the days when I've got my, my media friends next to me who I can turn and, you know, complain about the heat too and all that fun. But uh, it was a lot of empty desks and empty rows. It's been a strange, strange year that I'll never forget. But, you know, being down in Florida for spring training, and I would have been there late February into late March. And there was just such an anxiety, you know, around, uh, you know, the season starting around COVID-19, of course. And, you know, now thankfully that we are in a place with vaccinations, with, uh, you know, testing rates and doing better now, both in the U.S. and thankfully Canada now doing much better. It's uh, not relaxed by any means, but being in Buffalo was just such a step towards normalcy uh, for that. And, you know, you can sense that on the team as well. It's, it's difficult to give an example or really put a thumb on it, but when you talk to the players and you see them interacting around, even for me being able to go down to the netting and talk to a player, and now we're allowed on the field to speak to players, something that's not Zoom all the time because it's, uh, you know, I, <laughs> I'll always remember, you know, one of the first comments I got from a Blue Jays player, I was standing down by the net and he goes, hey, uh, Keeg still has legs. And I said, man... It has been uh, a year and a half since you saw anything other than my shoulders and face on a laptop. And it's, it's good to have that. But uh, even having the fans back in, I think that's one way we can kind of quantify this is having the fans back in Buffalo at Salem Field. And I mean, Buffalo sports fans are just awesome. You know, we, most people know that through the bills, but uh, you know, the, the, those who stick with the Sabres and, you know, those who goes to buy some game, like th those are hardcore fans and they're rowdy and it's fun. And the, the moment I'll never forget, honest to God, will never forget is that first game Robbie Ray was starting and struck out the first two batters he faced. This was against Miami, I believe. And two strikes on the third hitter. Everybody was screaming, cheering. There would have been four or 5,000 that night and uh, didn't get the strikeout, but he popped out to Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And the roar that crowd let out is something that'll stick with me because in, you know, in my job, and you understand this just as well, that hearing 20,000 people scream, it's, it doesn't really rock you anymore. You know, I just keep my head down and keep typing. That's, you know, my, that's what my office is. I know that's strange to say to a lot of my friends, but uh, it's yeah. Like it's uh, if somebody hits a walk-off home run, the blue Jays could hit a walk-off at Rogers center. The horn is going off. There's 50,000 people screaming. I just kind of grunt and sip my coffee and start to write my story again, right? It, it's, it's something you become used to. But after a year and a half of just sitting on my damn couch, it sounded like the loudest thing I'd heard in my entire life. And man, did it hit me in the heart. It was amazing to see the fans back and now back to full capacity, of course. I can't wait to get back and, and see that. But I, I think that's really the big difference because when you were down in spring training and uh, – Really, I think the spring training games I was at were pretty close to what you saw in those regular season Dunedin games. You're hearing the guy in the on-deck circle drop his bat, and you can hear the clank from 30 rows back, and it's just not the energy of a major league game. So that makes you hyper-aware of the fact you're wearing a mask. It makes you hyper-aware of the fact you're trying to stay away from people and stay safe. But uh, now that we're getting back to normal, you see fans – it's, uh, you know, not the finish line, but you can see it. And it, it's so encouraging what we've seen in Buffalo. I know it's hyperbole, but I feel like everyone understands it. Having 
watched games on TV, whether it be baseball last year, hockey this winter, whatever, the, like you mentioned, kind of just the rawness of the game. And now that you add in 4,000 fans at one time or maybe 10,000 the next time you're in Buffalo, it just that interaction and what we all took for granted uh, prior to 2020 really gives us a new sense of, of, of how great it is to have that atmosphere and that, that personal connection to the person we don't know sitting next to us. Absolutely. Um, when you see those fans coming in, and one thing I like, I, I must have watched 10,000 people take their picture at Salem Field, you know, just excited to be back. And it's, uh, you know, baseball is nothing without the fans. You know, it, it's about the fans and the players, period. That's it. And it's, uh, it's a reminder for me. I don't have this silly job without baseball fans. You know, if it's not for people being obsessively fans of the Blue Jays, I have a real job somewhere. You know, I'm, I'm waking at, what is it, Monday at 1030? I'm in an office somewhere at this point instead of just shuffling around my apartment, making breakfast and enjoying an off day, right? It, it's important for me to remember that as well. But the, the fans and the players, you see those interactions and even though you can't exactly line up on autograph row now, you know, there's still the odd way to throw a ball over the net or something and seeing the kids in the ballpark enjoying a game. It's uh, it does bring you back to that because um, you know, similar to what I was saying earlier, not, not that the joy leaves baseball for me by any means, but I think anyone can understand that in their job um, it's, you get used to it. You know, you do get used to being at the ballpark. That's normal for me. And it's uh it always strikes me when a, a friend maybe will make a trip to Toronto to go to Rogers Center, and that is their trip of the summer. And I realize, holy crap, I, I just walk in there every day and pour my coffee and open my laptop. But it's a, it's a very good reminder that, you know, it adds some of the romance back to it. It, it adds some of the excitement uh, back to it when you see people reacting to the game. Because when it's, you know, when it's only cranks like me in the ballpark, that's not a good energy. So... Having some fans, uh, you know, Blue Jays fans, the Yankees fans, whoever's in town, it's good. The noise is good, and you can no longer just hear that one heckler. You can at least uh, <laughs> hear uh, more of a uh, the fuzz of the crowd noise, which is better. Well, Keegan, I'm so glad you enjoyed your time here in Buffalo. Looking forward to seeing you again, and I am looking forward to the day where I can cross the border, come up to Rogers Center, see yourself and all your friends uh, on Press Row. It's, uh, it's been great catching up, and uh, – Hopefully you're, you're doing well and looking forward to seeing you soon. I appreciate you, Pat. Soon, I hope so. I hope so. Thank you. Our thanks to Keegan for joining us and looking forward to seeing him and all of our friends from the Toronto media again very soon. Hopefully the Blue Jays will be able to head back to Toronto sooner rather than later and will be able to enjoy baseball at Rogers Center once again. Before we conclude the podcast this week, it's time to take a look at how the Herd did in the prior week that was, including winning five out of six against Syracuse this past week. The Bisons beat up on the basement dwellers in the AAA East Northeast Division. Bisons will enter play on Tuesday, 27-19. and 19. Good for third place in the Northeast Division, looking up at Worcester at 29-19, and 19, and Scranton-Wilkesbury continues to lead the way. Best record in AAA East period, the Rail Riders are 32 and 13, having won eight out of their last 10, and a team that has a plus 92 run differential. Second best is Buffalo at plus 57. Bisons have won nine out of their last 10, and 10 out of 12, if you go back to the previous week, where Buffalo took five out of six from Rochester, a week in which saw Zach Logue be named the AAA East Pitcher of the Week in his first AAA start. Logue, the left-hander, went seven shutout innings against Rochester, 
giving up just one hit, no walks, and eight strikeouts. Unfortunately, this past week did not have as much success against Syracuse in the series against the Mets, but eventually the Bisons would take five out of six, including a couple extra inning affairs. Sunday afternoon took 11 innings, but the Bisons eventually came away with the win, and they've scored a lot of runs in the process. One of the players helping with that offense is Christian Colon. The veteran signed out of independent baseball just prior to the 2021 season has the fourth best batting average in AAA East, batting 324, entering play on Tuesday. He has led the Bisons wire to wire offensively in batting average and hits. He is now tied with Kevin Smith for tops on the team in hits. Smith continues to lead the team in home runs as he has 10 on the season. RBI-wise, Smith 33 RBIs for the Bisons. So Cologne and Smith, two of the main reasons why Buffalo has been able to win several of these past series, including against Rochester and now Syracuse, entering the week against Lehigh Valley. As the Iron Pigs are behind the Bisons at 21-27, and 12 and a half games out of the division lead, Buffalo at 27-19, and 19, Worcester and Scranton-Wilkesbury, the three teams that are above 500 in AAA East Northeast Division, Rochester's in fifth. Syracuse rounding out the division at one point losing 15 games in a row before defeating the Bisons this past series. Syracuse is 21 games out of the pace being set by the Rail Riders. One of the players that has helped lead the Bisons offensively over the past several games is Richard Orania. Fans will remember Orania from the Bisons roster in 2018 and 2019. At one point, a six-game hitting streak between the series in Rochester and Syracuse, hitting 319 in the month of June, having five home runs, 16 RBIs in 20 games played. Orania increasing his batting average by nearly 40 points in the process of 20 games played in the month of June. And with some of the shifting of roster positioning over the past couple of weeks, Orania, an invaluable tool to the Bisons, Defense and offense having made a start in right field, second base, shortstop, as well as serving as the team's designated hitter and even a game at third base for the Bisons. So Orania playing all over the diamond for Buffalo and a team that has a lot of utility players, including Cologne, Bravik Valera, who came back off the injured list due to being hit by a pitch in the helmet in the previous homestand for the Bisons. Those three have been shifted around the diamond quite a bit helping Buffalo with the versatility and keeping the offense rolling over the past couple of weeks. On the mound, we mentioned Zach Logue being named the Pitcher of the Week for the previous week for his start in Rochester. Well, Jacob Wagaspak was very good for Buffalo over the past road trip, winning two of his three starts in the month of June. Five starts for the right-hander who has spent the season with the Herd. 24 and two-thirds innings pitched, a 2.55 earned run average. Wagas packed 2-1 and one on the month for Buffalo. Kirby Sneed out of the bullpen has gone 2-0 and oh in the month as well. And Connor Overton has bounced back and forth between the bullpen and now into the starting rotation with the call-ups of a pitcher like Anthony Kay and also with Nate Pearson landing on the injured list. Overton back into the rotation for Buffalo and looking for a victory in the month of June. Nick Allgaier, a couple of starts and four overall appearances. He has two wins over 18 innings pitched as well. Allgaier has been in the bullpen a lot for Buffalo lately. For this Bisons pitching staff, they have been one of the best in AAA baseball this season with a team reliever earned run average of 2.93. That's now currently third best in AAA East. Looking up at Scranton, Wilkesbury, and Gwinnett, 
The Bisons had the second best earned run average as Durham just getting past Buffalo. The Bisons with a 3.31 earned run average as a team, second best behind Durham entering play on Tuesday. Pitching wise, one of the best teams so far this season on the mound and at the plate, continuing to provide the offense as well. As we mentioned, the Bisons will be home taking on Lehigh Valley this coming week. Then they'll hit the road again for a quick road trip. Bisons have six games coming up against Lehigh Valley this week. The first time this year, the Bisons will take on the AAA affiliate of the Philadelphia Phillies. We'll tell you how the series in Trenton shakes out next week. That'll do it for us here on the Power Alley Podcast. Until next time, I'm Pat Malacaro. Have a good one.